podcast is part of the Sports Social Podcast Network. Hello and welcome to the Newcastle Natter. My name is Fergus Craig and I am joined by Dave Watson. Oh, I came first. That's so exciting. Hi. And Paul Doolan. This is what we're doing, is it? Yeah. <laughs> well, look at his little face. Did you hear? Did you hear? I can't begrudge him there. It was like a kid on Christmas morning. If you if you haven't listened, if you didn't listen to the most recent episode, Dave was a little bit upset that he was uh, <coughs> always answered second, but I switched it there. And I'm glad I did because this podcast is all he's got in his life. Um, <laughs> actually, it's not all he's got in his life. We've, we've got a, a lot to talk about today. We will talk, obviously, about the game against uh, Arsenal. We will talk about... Uh, controversial third strip uh, or potential third strip we will um, get some questions and comments from you on social media but the first of which is from Lee Benson and he asks has Dave finally finished his DIY project then? DIY project? No this this was other people doing the hard graft while I affect a working class accent and make them cups of tea I was just updating you guys on the on the project of the progress of the kitchen, and yes, it is now done. It looks sexy as fuck. Yeah, if you've not if you if you don't follow Dave on Twitter, um, at this Dave, I think. Um, yeah, he has for the last I don't know. It feels like four years, <laughs> fourteen <laughs> weeks and three days. Been God. pretty much every day posting uh, pictures of the progress. Uh, of the project in his kitchen to almost no interest at all. <laughs> but, <laughs> Nobody gives a shit, but it's fine. But he's persistent with it. It's part of, he, he started it, so he's going to finish. And, uh, and may, maybe when, maybe he's getting absolutely no numbers on the tweets yet, no likes or whatever, but when he posts the final one, maybe it'll suddenly 2,000 likes will roll in. Everyone, everyone buy, we'll do a parade, buy him some flowers. We've all been there with you, Dave. <laughs> but you two know me well enough that I don't do anything online, on this podcast, at work, at home, for any kind of praise from other people. I, it's an audience of one. That's the only person I care about. Okay. Well, um, I wish I could say the same about myself, but I am desperate for your love and attention. <laughs> <laughs> Okay, let's talk about uh, the game on Monday night against Arsenal. Paul, was it the the best night of your life? <laughs> it was the best performance I think we've had this season. It, that's not necessarily the best night of my life, but it was ridiculous. I, I don't think I was ready for... I thought there'd be a good atmosphere. I thought, oh, well, we might sort of nick it. I didn't see a a performance that dominant coming down the pipe. It was mad. Yeah, my brother, who's on Twitter as Alison tweeted us to say, Fergus, you were right about flags. The Arsenal game had such an incredible buzz around the whole ground. Couldn't have picked a better game to go to. Yes, my brother went, went so, so jealous because the atmosphere did look amazing, didn't it, Dave? Well, I think that the atmosphere for the for the past like 
well, essentially since the takeover, the, the atmosphere at a home game has been unbelievable. Like for a team that's not challenging for anything, for a team that's not really, at, you know, in the latter stages, certainly after we went on that ridiculous run, we weren't really in danger of going down. And yet the fans were, and have been, like fully behind the 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 team from the first minute until the last. Even even games where we lost, like um, I don't know, like Man City, for example, or 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 Liverpool, certainly where we're completely outclassed, we still they were still behind the team, and it's it reminded me of the Robson days. I think it's a combination of of things. Obviously, there's so much goodwill around at the moment that wasn't there before that had completely disappeared, and it felt like it felt like the club had sort of gone or what made it famous, you know, the reputation it had for that atmosphere. But um, I think it's like there's now this sort of ritual uh, come about where the ground is pretty much full five, ten minutes before kickoff for all this stuff with the flags and all the songs. So there's already, by the time there's it, it kicks off, there's so much built up energy in the stadium that it, it takes a lot to get rid of that. And mm. I think that, and because as well, the team is, is playing so much better and such more like dynamic football. It, when we start, you know, it gives them a boost for the first 10 minutes and then it's sort of like a back and forth. Do you know what I mean? The crowd react. Then respond to the crowd. The crowd responding to their play, and it just sort of—it's. It, I think the crowd made quite a big difference on Monday night. I think as well, over the last sort of ten years, there has been that criticism of the crowd aren't getting behind the team. But I'm sure we've said it quite a lot. Under some managers, the team haven't given the crowd anything to get behind. I think us just being that little bit more front-footed. And even just sort of just being committed and pressing. I think as we press now so much more, that just gets the crowd up straight away. You can see it straight away against Arsenal. It got Arsenal nervous. Their keeper looked like he was on fire. <laughs> he looked like Miggy used to sometimes, where he just sort of looked like he was in a war and didn't yeah. know what was going on. And I think the crowd just feed off that. And you think if you've got, the potential for that atmosphere, why wouldn't you try and get that behind you rather than just play five at the back as deep as possible and hope to be still in it in well, 80 this, this is what I wanted to say because like, I, I was a massive advocate for Benitez, but his style of football doesn't exactly get people out of their seats. And I was a big critic, a, a critic of Steve Bruce. Well, Steve Bruce's like naivety, shall we say, in just getting the ball to St. Maximum. That got people out of their seats, but then, you know, they were few and far between. Eddie Howe's football consistently gets people excited because it's controlled. It's um, when we're pressing, it, it's high energy and it, it, it does get people excited. And certainly in the game against Arsenal, the movement up front, the chances that were, even even if it didn't come to a shot, the fact that we were creating um, opportunities 
in the final third, that just got everybody. It seemed to from from what I was watching, it got everybody like excited. And it was Arsenal were the ones who were fighting for something. It was a huge game for them, and all it was for us was our last home game of the season. That's mm. all it was, you know. Which often, you know, is as if it's not somber, then it's often a bit of a party, the last home game. And I guess because it was an evening game as well, that added to it. But you wouldn't have thought that, that, that our team didn't have anything to play for, but they were playing for it like they were, it was a semi-final of the cup competition. I mean, I, I saw people saying, oh, well, they're playing because every league position is worth £2 million now and the the players have got like a, um, like as part of their contract, a bonus, you know, for, for every, every league position, they get like a bit more of a bonus. But realistically, we can't finish top half. Re- like, it'll take some weird permutation of results for us to finish the top half so they're not going to get that bonus and then the uh, below below like 11th space we're not going to get that much money this this result this this performance was let's put on a good display for the fans because it's the final home game of the season it's a marker of what Eddie Howe wants to play it's how he wants to play and he finally had a striker up front that could score a goal, although he didn't. You know what I mean? No, he's like, yeah. it's it's like he finally had what was close to the kind of football that he wanted to play, like a team that could do it. And that was, I would say, is probably the best performance of the season. Yeah, Paul Callum Callum Wilson looked unbelievable. Mm. You just think if he could stay fit for thirty games a season. You just that buys you sort of four or five league places. He looked unbelievable. He, he looked very good, but you know he is flattered somewhat by uh, Chris. How Chris Wood has been since he signed for us, or mm. say Maximin or Almiron or whoever else has been left up front on their own. Yeah, um, there was one point of the game that I really that stuck with me. It was around the seventy fifth minute. The ball was just put forward to, to, to Wilson and he dropped into space, taking it on his chest fa- and immediately found a runner who was, I think it was Almiron. Wood never did that. If the ball was gone up, the ball had to be hit at Wood. It, it was never like into a position where Wood would move to. It was always like, you, you've got to hit him for the ball to for him to try and control it, which meant there was always a defender right on top of him, which meant he always lost the ball. Um, and that's for a team like um, for a team that wants to play the way Eddie Howe wants to play. That's not that's not going to work. It's not going to fly. For like Burnley, it would, but for us, it, it just wasn't working. And it it is a bad signing, but like it was a needs must. Someone has changed his tune. Callum Wilson. Uh, no, no, you've changed your tune, Dave. You've got you're a complete one eighty. Um, <laughs> Callum Wilson didn't score a goal, unfortunately, no. but he very nearly did score um, what the kids call, I believe, a worldie. Um, oh yeah, he he nearly 
it's called an amazing, uh, is it half volley? You know, there's debates on what a half volley is, but it, it nearly scored an amazing uh, volley. Long range sort. effort. Yeah. Long, yeah. long range effort over the keeper. So close. I think that would have been up there it with was... Cissé's against Chelsea for like our best goal in the Premier League. I would say no. Oh, I've, I've not even though I didn't get. I've not been able to I, stop I, I watching it. I wouldn't put Cissé's. Cissé's goal. Cissé's goal isn't our best goal in the Premier League. Okay. It's up there. I it's would not. say that Cissé's goal. It's is not up there, there Dave. but it's not. Yeah. I would say that it's possibly the best goal in the history of the Premier League. Dave, what is that? <laughs> okay, we should be talking about the Arsenal game, but what goal in the Premier League is better yeah. than Cissé's goal against Chelsea? Um, I would say that Ben Arthur's against Bolton was better. I would say that Shearer's against Everton was better. I oh, would yeah. say that um, Robert's against Fulham was better. Yeah, Robert's the first one or the second, probably the second one's better, um, because all of them was they that's they did what they completed what their intention was, and there was no just like that's C says that's why C says isn't so incredible because it's obviously his intention. It's because he had the invention to do that. And all of the goals that you've just described are brilliant, but there's four or five of those goals in the Premier League every season. Mm -hmm. A goal like Cissek has never been scored in the Premier League. And the the inventiveness to do that, it's, I mean, it might not be the best goal in the history of Premier League, but it is by a mile the best goal that we've scored in the Premier League. I, I look at Cissé's goal and I think that he's gone, ah, fuck it, and just had a shot. I look at the goals that I mentioned and I think that those players were thinking, this'll work. And that's the difference for me. The conviction. I, I think it's, I mean, I don't want to spend too much time on it, but I could write a 3,000-word essay on why. <laughs> you regret your decision to introduce Dave first, Fergus? You yeah. see what happens? We're, we're going to review. He's gone shock jock. There's so many. There's how many he's gone all Chris Sutton on us. Get, he's <laughs> trying to get some calls in. We'll get some calls in now. Um, <laughs> just, I mean, so many holes in his argument there. Maybe we should continue with this on another podcast. I feel like we should have, should have a break and then talk a little bit more about the actual football in the Arsenal game. And yeah. uh, and also, um, there's a few other things to talk about. All right. Bye. Welcome back to the Newcastle Natter. Uh, during the break, we continued our discussion about uh, CSA's goal against Chelsea. Uh, we chose not to record it because, as Paul just said, it's a circular pub discussion. But um, I'd just like to confirm for everyone listening that uh, Dave continued to be wrong. 
So let's get back to <laughs> the, uh, the Arsenal game. We haven't, and it's probably largely down to me, actually talked that much about the football. Uh, Paul, anything else you wanted to talk about in the actual game itself? I think we said on the last pod, Ben Arthur, but not Ben Arthur, St. Maximin was due. Just, just thinking about the debate. Still thinking about the debate. So Maxman was due a good performance. I feel like that was his best in a long time. Yeah. Which he needed. It's little things that we've criticised him and a lot of other people criticised him for. Like, he was pressing people and pressing intelligently, not just, you know, he was up for it because it was the final game. He was pressing intelligently as part of the hunting pack. He was releasing the ball at the right time. He was the one that released the ball for Joe Linton to cross it over for the the ball that the, the goal that ended up being awarded to him. It was Ben White, wasn't it? Mm. It was an own goal for Ben White. So Maximum was a threat throughout. He tested uh, Ramsdale a few times, but he was also winning winning free kicks. He was linking up a lot better. It was honestly. It's kind of because he's got Callum Wilson up there instead of, you know, the plank of wood. Well, I think as well, he was sort of, he was actually beating players when he dribbled. There was still, because it didn't come to anything, it's sort of less talked about, but there were still moments where the Arsenal right back would ghost into our box and St. Maxim would just be walking back. Mm. But because no goal or kind of chance came of it, it didn't come to anything I still think that the failings were still there but that was attacking wise his most effective performance yeah Arsenal weren't weren't very good which probably helped a lot on the night but he was he seemed a lot more focused it feels like the French players often are when they play Arsenal just uh, there's something I think because of the history with Arsenal I think in general French players when they come over to England really a lot of them feel like they have a lot but that's the game they a big game get up for. Yeah, there was one thing that I that, that I saw that was like Tomoyasu has only been dribbled past something like seven times or something like that in the Premier League, and in the first half before he went off injured against against Newcastle, he was dribbled past four times, three of them by St Maximum and one of them by Matty Target, Whoa. which is impressive. Uh, Matt Target was very good. Uh, yeah. Bruno was... Oh, God. Am I going to use the word sublime? It's ridiculous. Special. How does he play for us? I know. <laughs> it seems like a mistake. It's weird how he's like, up until now, he was like, <clears throat> his goal-scoring record was like, comparative with like, David Batty or something. There's a recent reference. <laughs> and now he's like, for us, he's like a goal every two games or something. We should he's probably now like last season's Joe Willock. I was going mm. to say, we should probably remember. There's, I saw someone and I thought, oh, this will jinx it. I saw someone saying, maybe it was one of you in WhatsApp, or maybe it was just someone on Twitter. Someone saying, this, imagine how good it would be for us after a pre season. And it, this and that next year, I thought, mm, 
we've had like Joe Willock arrive and have that amazing second half of the season. We've had, I remember, I remember when Kennedy, Sissoko, Kennedy yeah. I remember when Sissoko first arrived for us, but he was never as good as when he first arrived. I mean, I, I do have high hopes for Bruno. I do, I do. I think when Joe Willock was on that run, I think the whole of football was like, oh, <laughs> this is interesting. It was a bit Julian Joachim. Yeah, I think yeah. it was quite telling that Arsenal was still like, yeah, you can have him for 25 million. We, yeah. They clearly didn't think it was going to continue. I think yeah. the other midfielder to mention, you know, I think had his best game since under Rafa with Sean Longstaff. I think that that almost assist for the second goal, that little dink through to Wilson that he doesn't quite get on the end of. Mm. And just the amount of running from him. I think the last few games is sort of flattered to deceive a little bit. I think it's different when you're <coughs> in the stadium, but on TV you don't really see what Longstaff does. But Has he that, signed up his contract? No. No, but they're He's, saying it's it's in the pipeline. He wants more assurances about game time, I think. He's not going to fucking get that. Yeah. Like, he's not. And, but the thing is, if he was, if he were to sign a four year deal with us, for example, he, because we will, we will end up playing European football. We will. It's, it's just a financial, like, like byproduct of being super rich. The finances that we've got, we are going to be playing European football. He is one word play. of caution. I would bet there's Everton fans who have said that in the last five years. <laughs> I get that, but but I do our, agree with you as well. Yeah, our wealth and also the first window, which is without doing any research in my, my gut instinct, the first the first window is when new owners want to stamp their authority on it and and um, make make headlines. Aside from Gumieris, I don't think any of the signings that we made, for all they cost money, I don't think there were any, there were any like headline grabbing transfers. Like, it just it seems to me that they're and all the rhetoric about next season the the budget's going to be sixty to eighty million. It sounds like they're trying to like downplay expectations and let's not go too high too fast. So it makes me think that if we get into Europe with and I think we will soon, Sean Longstaff will get games either in the Premier League against lower opposition, in the cups against whoever we play, or in the early stages of the European competition. Because he's not going to be first choice because he's not better than Gumierish. I do. No, really but I think on the basis of last night, he's probably put himself ahead of Willock and possibly Shelby. If I was Sean Longstaff, I would want to sign for any number of reasons, but I also wouldn't expect to be uh, necessary, like a guaranteed starter next season. And also, what you said about Europe, I mean, I mean, yeah, we, there's a fairly strong chance, but certainly not guaranteed that we'll get Europe next season. So that's the whole of your, your proposed time when Matt Longstaff is going to get extra games when we're in Europe is not sure. next season, might not even be the season that season yeah. after. I mean, it's quite a long time to ask him to wait for this. And it would be the Thursday night underwhelming European games, which he could probably go to West Ham and get next season or that level of club. Since we're, talk- since we're talking about Sean, I just thought I'd have a look at Matty Longstaff. 
who was ha- a year or two ago was having his contract discussions and was potentially going to Italy and there were all these different opportunities. Mm. He's now on loan at League Two side Mansfield Town. Yeah. Um, he has scored six goals in, in 16 games. But, I think uh, I think it's been a quite a successful loan spell for him. But um, still, he I don't think he thought that in the season 21-22 he was going to be playing in League Two. No, I I think he thought he would be playing higher up. But then I also think that the all the kids coming through the academy they've been mismanaged for fucking years. So Matty Longstaff and Sean Longstaff shouldn't have been thrust into the the Premier League. And, you know, they, they put in some good displays, but they shouldn't have been thrust in there. They should have been off on loan at, like, Preston or wherever the fuck ever, learning the craft and then coming into the Premier League. Like, I feel like Sean Longstaff so, did the sort of loan moves before. I know what you mean. Our loans especially have been mismanaged. Then he got his chance, and it was going well under Rafa. It just didn't work out for him under Bruce. I think, mm. I think the the start to his Newcastle career had gone pretty much perfectly. I think, I think the reason Matty Longstaff, I think what's different to when Matty Longstaff signed his contract extension to how it is now, is that the reason we wanted to keep Matty Longstaff was because otherwise he'd go for free and he was worth some money as an asset. Mm. I don't think that would enter into... Like, I think there's plenty of players who we could get money for that will be that could go for nothing now. I mean, FFP's going to be a thing like this as well, isn't it? Mm. So. But I mean, F- FFP, FFP's like bandied about as if it's going to like significantly stymie any kind of progress we want to make. Realistically, we could go off and spend 300 million quid in, in January and not fall foul of FFP really? for a couple of okay. seasons. Yeah. Yeah. Because we yeah, spent, we spent like... That's uh, so it's, proposition it's, from something else you've said to me in the past, but okay. Fine. No, we, 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 could, we could go off and spend like 300 million quid and not fall foul of FFP because of the money that we've recouped from the being like, remaining in the Premier League, so on and so forth. I can't be asked to get into the finances of it, but it, like the minutiae of it. But essentially, we could spend an absolute fuck ton. Well, so, you are definitely saying this with a lot of confidence. <laughs> so, we could, but we're not going to because if we were to spend three hundred million this window, it would mean that next window we would not be able to spend fucking anything. Because you can make a loss of £105 million every season over the course of like three seasons or something. So it's it's like we could go and do it, but why would we? Plus, we've got like um, a lot of commercial revenue that we can increase on and sp- shirt sponsors, ships, all this kind of thing. Our FFP envelope is going to grow. It is not the... the the like roadblock that some people are making out to, making it out to be. Anything else on the the game against Arsenal? I thought the defense was really good. Yeah. Even when Shaw had to go off with that pretty scary injury. Yeah. Um, it was scary. Uh, uh I thought that was really good. The, like the, the whole defense. Um it was a shame we didn't get to see Trippier. But it was nice to see Dwight Gale and he had his opportunity. Yeah, I oh assumed, my god. Uh, I assumed that uh Trippier would come on. I was a bit surprised. 
Gail did, but you know. But um, the I think it's nice for the Sorry, the rehabilitation of Emil Kraft that you sort of feel like Trippier needs to earn his place back in the team now, which I don't think any of us would have thought. So, I thought I, I thought Target struggled a bit early doors, but then he kind of got a handle on Saka and he knew what he needed to do and how to play against him, and he, he pulled it around. I think. How would you feel about signing Matt Target for? I think it would be a very good signing. I think he's it's tricky. He's looked an upgrade. I'm sure we could sign better than Matt Target, but it's more of a risk. I think he's looked very solid defensively, despite a lot of the time being two on one because there's no cover mm. from St. Maximin in front of him. Yeah. And I think his his set piece delivery as well from corners is quite a big asset. I'd be very happy with signing Matt Target I don't want that I don't see that as the big area of the pitch that I want us to be making some huge signing but it's interesting because we've been linked with um, uh, Atletico Madrid left back Renan Lodi um, another Brazilian yeah um, and he's like tens of millions of pounds like like 25, 30 million pound or something like that. Whereas Matt Target, they're talking more like 15 to 20. I think I'm with you, Fergus. I think it's not the priority. And if we can get Matt Target for 15, 20 million quid, I say do that and worry about a left back that's a world beater at a later date. It depends how we're going to... I think it depends how we're going to play next season as well. If you look at the teams that if we're going to try and control games and be on the front foot and press and have a high line, the sort of most important players in those systems are your fullbacks. If you look at like Liverpool, yeah, and they are quite dynamic attacking players. Target's not really that type of player, which might be why Villa felt they had to upgrade on him. But it, mm-hmm. it depends. I think if we don't sign him, that'll be more of an indication of how Howe wants to play next season rather than any fault of Matt Targets. It is true that for a lot of the top, top sides, the fullbacks are like almost as, as important a position as any other other pitch now. Yeah. But yeah. I, I don't think, no, no matter how improved we are, and I know how wants more possession, I don't think we're going to be having as, as enough possession next season in enough games where like the fullbacks are going to be in the final third. What has been nice, yeah. I think I said on the WhatsApp during the game, just having fullbacks being offside. Like how long has it since we've been able to say that? <laughs> um one thing I wanted to mention before we moved on is uh how fucking either unlucky or un like incapable is Jacob Murphy at putting away a one on one chance. I love Jacob Murphy. I know that you do. Uh, and there, there was, I think maybe you sent it to me, there was a video of Jacob Murphy a couple of weeks ago after, maybe after the Liverpool game, singing uh, just like, with, like with a load of Newcastle fans late at night in Newcastle, singing with them. And weirdly, what was really nice, although it was actually being videoed, that there was a load of young lads and they didn't all have their phones out and stuff. And they were like, 
we've in Jacob are not like all, all over him. They were just like, I don't know. But you could see that he's like a, um, he is a proper fan and I do like him. And yes, I, it would have been nice if he'd scored. He didn't do terrible with it, did he? He did. <laughs> he did do terribly. Him, to be fair, him, him and, and Fraser. Ryan Fraser, it looked like if the two of us had been put through. So I don't want to fucking score. You do it. I would like to see the two of us go through and play that play that video side by side. <laughs> All you would see is me giving the keeper the eyes and slotting it to the other side of him. At a, a calm, composed finish, but no, it's, he has no composure. I think where he messed up, where the worst thing he did was his pass to Fraser, which sort of like well, both, well, both was, it was, it was such an bad. early pass as well. You like yeah. make the defender commit, but just like there you go, yeah, terrified. I think That's the problem true. is he's a player, one of the few players we have who can get himself in those sort of positions, but mm. it's. It would almost be better if he couldn't, because then he wouldn't fuck them up every time. Well, they would I see us selling him to a championship club for a similar similar amount to what we bought him for. Just yeah, yeah. I, I I still think that there's so there's uh, there seems to be an expectation that there's going to be an exodus. Um, I think there's going to be certainly players who aren't in the squad now, like Lewis Clark, not Lewis Clark, but. Clark, Lewis, uh, Hayden, um, uh, maybe Woodman, players like that. They're, they're, I would expect them to go. But I still think there's there's a place in the squad for, for players like Jacob Murphy, for um, maybe, like, certainly Longstaff. I think and a major factor from the outside looking at it, it seems like there's a really, really good atmosphere in the squad and a very like positive group and I've heard like Klopp talking recently about Liverpool and how they've got like no bad eggs and it's like such a major part of the way they do things and I think that's 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 an area where possibly don't know but like clubs like Everton or Man U who spent a lot of money may, may have gone wrong like if we can like invest, but at the same time sustain a really good team spirit and togetherness, that would be good. And yes, that may include keeping players who are just good for the squad. <laughs> I mean, who are happy yeah. to play their part. But it feels like the way Harry manages them, that's a lot of the decisions he's made could have led to quite a tricky dressing room, like dropping yeah. Lascelles. But yeah. it sounds like everyone's pulling in the same direction anyway. That that story the other week about Dwight Gale being the best performer in training, even though he must know as well as everyone he's on the way out and hasn't got anything really to play for. I think it, then play, it does seem very good like, at managing the people. Players like Lascelles or, I don't know, potentially Jacob Murphy or whoever, their best best chance at playing European football, certainly with an English side, is to stay with Newcastle, right? They're not going to get signed by another team challenging for European football. Sure, but I think if you're Lascelles and you're the captain of the club, a new manager comes in, brings in a centre-back and replaces you, a lot could have gone wrong there. 
Oh, no, I'm saying, yeah, yeah, it could have gone wrong, but I'm, yeah, 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 sure, yeah. But I think everyone's sort of on board to the point that, like, you see, when Lascelles comes on last night, that's a player who's sort of primed to put a shift in. Okay, this feels but like he's he... gone. All right, fine, Dave, yes. <laughs> um, I think Lascelles is the kind of player that we could move on in the window to, like, Nottingham Forest or, you know, top of the championship, bottom of the Premier League. I think there's a load of them that we could shift on. I just don't think there's going to be an exodus. The likes, you know, there's not going to be a huge overhaul of the squad. I think you're, you're probably right. And I, I kind of hope that that is the case because it feels a big risk to me to suddenly bring in 12 players. Or I guess, but then the January window felt like a similar risk. We bring in six players. Yeah, uh, wasn't five. Bruno, five. Trippier, Target, and Wood. Five. Yeah. Um, okay, so it feels like it's going to be a very long pod, and why not? It's been a very long season. Um, so I'm going to go to Twitter now. Uh, we've got a message from Paul M. He says, "How dare we have a third strip similar to our owners' country's colours? End of the world stuff." Yeah. So this is in reference to, it's not been announced or confirmed at all, but it's been leaked and it seems as if it's, it's not a made-up thing. It's, so I think it's, it appears to be something that the club is, has at least considered. Uh, for next season, they've released a, they haven't released, I've just said, they've leaked. But there's a picture of a strip for next season, which is, in the Saudi Arabian colours, it's incredibly, it's similar to a former Saudi Arabian uh, strip. It's not, I mean, it's, it's not a coincidence, surely. Um, Paul, have you got any thoughts on it? It's quite depressing, really. I think it's sort of good in a way. We've said before, our owners seem to be terrible at sports washing the whole point of sports washing <laughs> is to make people forget about the regime that own you and make people just think about football and we seem to get that completely wrong every time i yeah i find it very depressing i, I think um, there's a i think there's a lot of fan reaction of the usual whataboutery and like Sheffield United had a kit, the Saudi colours. That doesn't make this right. Dave? It doesn't make it right. And I agree that having uh, essentially the Saudi national team as our third kit, it doesn't sit well with me because we are essentially wearing the, the Saudi national kit if we play in that colours. Do think it, it is there is merit to saying your outrage is justified. However, where was your outrage for Man City's or Sheffield United's or Chelsea's um, third strips when they were, you know, when they, like cause certainly they played, they have a third strip in the same colours as their owners' national. But team they're not my club. <laughs> No, 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 I'm not, I'm not, no, I'm talking more about the, the journalists who are up a height because of this. And I think that 
Newcastle fans have kind of got to fucking get used to this. I Our think a lot of Newcastle fans, useful. I think as well, because we basically curate our own news feed from Twitter. So a lot mm-hmm. of Newcastle fans follow football journalists who are critical of Newcastle and don't follow the stories that have happened. There's been plenty of criticism of Man City over the years that those Newcastle fans won't have seen because it's not in their yeah. interests. So there's this weird misconception of we're getting a load more flack than sort of Man City ever did. And it's just mm. not true. It's just because we a lot think of it, us choose it, to follow. We've talked about this before. We've talked about this before, but I think it's built up over time. When when Roman Abramovich took over Chelsea, that there would have been the odd story about it, but that wasn't a big deal. And it was like gradually happened over the it wasn't a big deal from my like human rights perspective. And gradually that story built up over the years. And it wasn't as big a story when um UAE took over uh, Man City in, in that sort of area, you know. But it is what it is. It's like the world changes, right? People are noticing these things more. If we had got bought by the Russian national state's investment team, investment fund, and then during the war against Ukraine, we decided to have a new kit which was in the Russian flag's colours, that would be a huge fucking deal, right? Yeah. Saudi Arabia are currently in, from what I can see, an equally bad war against Yemen, right? This would not... You know, I don't get fully into this. I know... I'm still hosting a podcast about Newcastle, so I've clearly, ultimately, made my choice. Right? I still was very, very happy when I watched that game on Monday night. Right? So, you know, I, I'm still a Newcastle fan, but I don't want to see us like so blatantly be poster yeah. boys for. Saudi Arabia, I think it, it, it really, I find it really fucking stomach churning. And that, I, I forget his name, that player who came out as gay the other day, the Blackpool player, the first professional. Mm. Oh, oh, Daniels, Jake, is it Jake Daniels? I think so, yes. But to, to come out as gay. And then the club wrote a, uh, did a tweet in support of him, and UFC did, and you know, fine, that's good. But you know, what if one of our players comes out as gay? Are we going to take him on a mid-season training camp to Saudi Arabia? Like that's that's how like embedded but, we are with. But is that not like kind of the price? that the Saudis have to pay to be seen to be uh, better than they actually are yeah. is that if, like like the Qataris are having to say that um, same-sex couples are more than welcome to come and watch the World Cup in Qatar. Yeah. I hope I so. I mean, they're not, yeah, 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 okay. but yeah. they are. Well, I, so hope, we, I hope, yeah. I think that there's a very naive 
thing, but maybe it's right. But it, it mm. seems very naive. From, from, I'm not talking about you, Dave. But All I right. think mm. from uh, a lot of Newcastle fans suggesting that we might have a positive influence on Saudi Arabia. I don't think anything think that happens very at Newcastle. Naive, but Nothing that happens at Newcastle is going to change the law in Saudi Arabia. The whole point of sports washing and this kind of arrangement is you get to have your cake and eat it. You get to be a brutal regime, but you get to pretend you're forward thinking and liberal. You get to maintain both positions at the same time because you're funding a team that is winning football matches. But you were saying they're bad at sports, sports washing because the whole idea is to hide it so you don't so you forget about all that i think this is you know they're really going for it right so if we end up with a saudi arabian kit then we'll have this conversation now all the newcastle fans the majority of them maybe not a lot of newcastle fans will jump to the defense and will buy the ship and then over time it just becomes a part of our football culture and, and we're just more and more intertwined with them, not just as a club, but as the Premier League. It's like it's like what? the Visit Rwanda things on the Arsenal. Yeah. Show. It's like... Anyway. One, one thing I would say is that everything I've read suggests that this was a move by Castor or Castore, however you pronounce it. So there's a really easy PR win for the owners. It's to say... This was this was a like a, a a prototype of the third kit among many other options, and we're not going to go with that one. And then kind of like disavow it. They've tested the water, they got the the reaction, and then you go back in with something that's a little bit more palatable. And then they seem like, oh, we you know that wasn't us, but like I understand you're upset, but let's like move on and. So maybe maybe black shirts with a red armband would be <laughs> more palatable. We are talking about something that has not, no, nothing official has been said about it at all. No. So it's all speculation. But I, I think it, it, you've got a good point. It may well just be that. Um, we'll see. But if it does go ahead, then I'm sure we'll have more conversations about it. Okay. Uh, here's another question from Twitter, the Reverend Joe Kinsella says, what's been the best and worst moment from this season? Uh, either of you. Any thoughts on that? Uh, Monday worst. night kind of felt like the best. Sort of the entire game and just the scenes after. And that that's where it's sort of cemented it to me that like this, we're going to be a good team, probably. Yeah, for me, um, it wasn't even like it possibly wasn't the best performance of the season just because Arsenal was so lackluster. But with the atmosphere and everything, and such an excitement around Bruno for me, of just like he just feels like a whole new, like he represents the, the next era. Um, I, you know, I've got a couple of other candidates for best moment, but Dave. Yeah, I'm torn between Trippier's free kick against Aston Villa. Yeah. Or Bruno's 94th minute winner against Leicester. Oh, yeah, the flying header. Because mm. that felt like, 
like the the Trippier goal against Villa felt like oh like he's a really good player and I think we'll be okay and we might finish higher up than 17th Bruno's against Leicester it was just a thrilling goal and he he was like oh what a fucking special player he is um the worst one was Wolves away. Mm. That was fucking awful. So flat, so miserable. Just terrible. Just terrible. And then, you know, what? Fortnight later and we've got new owners and new ambition. And you know. I remember that game. I'm just looking at it. I'm just... Jeff Hendricks scored in that game. <laughs> it was... Yeah, yeah, because he was the last goal of the Ashley era right it was a deflected hit and hope from Jeff Hendrick right I think it wasn't even that it was such a terrible performance it was more just the the kind of what's the point of mm. carrying on doing this I think yes, we've all had moments was... this season where we felt like well, this doesn't seem like a useful endeavour <laughs> <laughs> well, that be, I think it's got to be the Wolves away because I rem- remember it clear. I don't remember the game clearly, but I remember our WhatsApp conversation afterwards, just how depressed we all were. Oh, yeah. Um, I think I said, what's the fucking point? Yeah, we were all like close to just giving up on everything. And then, yeah, it was a couple of days later that the takeover happened. And then we had a whole new sort of like, Seriously. I think another contender for worst moment was I, I, it's weird. This season feels like it's been four seasons long, so this could <laughs> not actually be from this one. But um, am I going mad, or was it the end of the transfer window at the start of the season where we wouldn't sign off on Hamza Chowdhury on loan, who Bruce wanted? Well, there was some sort of. Yeah. I think we just signed Joe Willock, and that was it. And it was clear that we needed defenders and another midfielder, and it was just not happening. And that's where you just thought, right? Yeah, you just thought yeah. we're going through this again. Yeah, it was funny because like that was like we went fourteen games without a win, and yet like after the after even after like the the Spurs result even though we lost, still felt more positive than I had done under Bruce. Yeah. Okay. So we've got to that pretty much. One-up gaming says, although Maximin is a quality player, should we cash in on him and buy a player that can pass more and not lose the ball so close to his own area? That is basically the conversation that we had last week. So maybe just go back and listen to that podcast one up gaming. But um uh I don't know if there's anything to add to that. We did talk about him. I'll just give you a quick uh give me a quick answer. Dave 30 million would you sell it? Yeah. Paul 30 million would you sell it? Not sure. Not sure oh, Paul. Thanks. Probably okay. Um, and uh, I think that's pretty much 
it. Oh, Sean Morgan says, would you buy a backup to Callum Wilson for next season or buy a big name striker and use Wilson as a backup? I think we sort of spoke about that last week as well. Um, I feel like Wilson really has to be a backup because of his injury record. Yes, which is what someone else points out. Um, I think I think you're right. Um, we're all agreed that we'd like to see another striker, aren't we? It is the priority because Wilson can't be trusted to be fit. Even which is a shame. Arsenal, even in the Arsenal game, didn't he get a cup of teeth knocked out? <laughs> I heard that he got them like one was loosened, but they kind of just wedged it back in. I don't want dentistry happening on a football pitch. I was thinking about that. It's that like, like football is just such a, a weird job. It's like it's just accepted. It's like if you, if his tooth had come out, they would go, "Yeah, your tooth's come out," and then he would just run back onto the pitch. Like your yeah. tooth's come out. You still have to keep working. I'd be running around, and yes, the adrenaline would be going, and I'd want to keep playing, but I'd also be running around thinking, my tooth's gone. <laughs> I was thinking this during the game. If that was me, there is no way I'm not telling every player on that pitch what's happened to my tooth. <laughs> I'd be like, can you believe my fucking tooth? Look at it. Like if you were in a, if you were in a writer's room, and there was an accident in the way room and your tooth came out. <laughs> Would you? But it was just uh, taken as a given that you just like stick some cotton wool in it and have a bit of a bloody mess. <laughs> and <laughs> you were going to, you'd have to finish the session before you, you did anything about it. I'm a pro, so I would do that. But yeah. Oh, yeah. All right. Um, our next game is a, our final game. Off yeah. the season. Uh, Burnley away. Where's the table stand? Burnley are really going to be fighting, aren't they? Basically, Burnley play on Thursday, which is like tomorrow as we record. Um, <clears throat> Burnley have to get something against... They basically need to win either against us or against Villa. Um. And they face Villa on Thursday. Uh, it's it, it it's really interesting that the it's the title, fourth place, and the relegation spots are all going to be decided on the final day of the season. Exciting! And um, so we we managed. We just played a side who were really fighting for something mm-hmm. with Arsenal, and we managed to probably scupper their dreams although I've seen it pointed out that it would be the most Spursy thing in history if all they needed to do was get a point against Norwich one of the worst teams in the history of the Premier League and they failed well they did it before because do you remember when we 5-1 yeah after we'd had it after Mitrovic got sent off as well we were already relegated they were going for the Champions League against I think they were fighting it out with Chelsea and all they needed was like, a, I think they needed to win, but like they couldn't even manage that against us. And then, of course, like this season, Leeds have to beat Brentford away if they want to survive. And Everton and Burnley can both, like, they can, if they win 
on Thursday, they still have to get something on the final game of the season if Leeds do. They have to better Leeds' results. So that's interesting. It is interesting. So is it going to work in our favour or not? Paul, what do you think will happen? I think it will be quite a sort of... I think we'll win. I think it'll be sort of 1-0, 2-1. I think Burnley have had some really good performances, but they've also had games where you think, okay, they need to keep this going, and then they've fallen apart against quite poor teams. Yeah. I think Burnley will beat Aston Villa tomorrow, and they'll lose to us. And I think Everton will lose against Crystal Palace and lose against Arsenal and go down. It's hard to see Leeds getting a point. If Everton win in the week, they're safe, aren't they? This yeah. is a Newcastle United podcast. I know, but we all want to see um, Everton go down. Let's be Everybody wants to see Everton go down because a decent manager will have their mid-table next season. And that is surely the lowest that we should be aiming at is mid-table. So I want Burnley and Leeds to survive more than I do Chelsea for next season. Well, I think Everton will survive. And I think that we will beat Burnley. Uh, I think it is possible that after the celebrations, the highs of Monday and the... Uh, and the, the uh, what do you call it, the laugh of honor and all of that, that our players will finally sort of like get their flip-flops to on performance goals. Mm. I think we're enjoying winning so much now. The only two teams we've lost to in recent memory are Liverpool and Manchester City. I think we'll win. Yeah. I think Burnley will stay up. Part of me hopes they will. I think Leeds just look like a team that's going down. Yeah. I'd I'd say the same. It's a shame, but... Yeah. Um, I suppose out of the three of them, yes, I suppose I would want Everton to go down. I say 2-0. Yeah, that's what I said. All right. Three... I did say 1-0 or 2-1, but I'm going to change it to 3-1. Right, okay. So we're all pretty certain. Um, All right, well, let's leave it there. I think that was a pretty long one, but, you know, we were all quite giddy with excitement after Monday, and there was a lot to talk about. And we'll try and do another one after the Burnley one. Look at us doing podcasts two weeks, three weeks in a row. Well, one thing we could do is after after the Burnley result, Anybody listening, you could send in as your game of the season, the player of the season, goal of the season, flop of the season, signing of the season, all that shit. Send us in. Sure, let's do the, the um, end of season awards. Okay, end of season awards. Let's go. Suits at the dry cleaners this week. Get that ready for the end of season awards. We'll do that after the Burnley game. Yes, please, please do that. And also, please drive home safely. All right. Thank you very much, Dave Watson. Bye. I might just start doing that. That's a good one. Is that, is that a funny thing to say at the end of every podcast? Drive home safely. <laughs> <laughs> thank you very much, Paul Doolan. Thank you. And thank you to you, the Newcastle, after listening. Goodbye.
If you want to advertise on or sponsor this show, check us out at playbackmedia.co.uk. Sports Social Podcast Network.